Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the DJE Podcast. We're going to get started with David Choi here in a moment. Uh, fantastic story. David walks us through how he got started in real estate. Uh, what was very notable is his work ethic and the amount of hours he's working. He started with the goal to retire his parents. And so he shares a story about working 90 hour weeks and going to college and eventually having the dream to go out and build his own company. And so he, he did that. They're up to about 100 employees and they do different Different things in the real estate investment space. Uh, very inspiring story, though, um, and a lot of practical kind of tips and knowledge along the way for what David's built. We also talk about his, his vision for the future. So great guy. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think you will, too. Before we jump into that, a word from our sponsors. If you're not seeing deals from DJE Texas, from our company, if you're not seeing our investment projects in your inbox, you'd like to, you can register at DJE Texas. That's Delta Juliet Echo Texas spelled out.com. There's also a link in the show notes. You can go register, meet our team, get to know us. We could show you case studies on what we've done and we can get you seeing future projects after that. Secondly, if you are an aspiring operator, you want to go out and buy and run your apartment deals, or you want to put together teams that participate in buying apartment deals. We created apartmenteducators.com as a complete ecosystem to do that. So check out apartmenteducators.com. There's a free eight-part video series that I teach there. Uh, and there's a complete ecosystem behind that where our uh, clients in apartment educators are going out and closing 10, 20, $30 million uh, apartment deals. And it's really exciting to see. So check that out if that's uh, of interest to you. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into the episode with Mr. David Choi. David, hey, welcome. Good to see you and welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Devin. Thanks for asking. Thank you for having me on the show. It's an honor. Absolutely. Really glad to have you join us today. Let's dive in and talk about real estate and business and all that fun stuff. Before we do, how about an intro, your background for the audience here? Um, you know, what, what you grew up, what you grew up doing I always like to understand kind of the pivot point for getting into real estate and, and how you made, you know, how you made that. <laughs> I was hoping to keep it professional, but if you're going that deep, all the uh, way back, man, all the <laughs> way back. All right. Well, uh, always a knucklehead and all throughout uh, preschool, middle school, high school. I, I just didn't have the, the foresight, I guess, or, or the motivation to, to be academically inclined. Right. Um, I can, relate. you know, I was, but I always was playing sports. I was always a captain on my football teams or my wrestling team. So there was motivation. It just was directed in some of the wrong places. Um, ended up getting into Rutgers uh, degree in finance with concentration in real estate. Um, I guess the, the pivotal point was, you know, I, just being a knucklehead. Um, I, I had gotten into some trouble Nothing, nothing serious, but tr enough trouble for me to, you know, it was a slap in the mouth. Hey, wake up. Um, and, uh, you know, just not doing good in school. I was on, on the Dean's list. Fortunately, the Dean's got two lists, uh, one for <laughs> the, uh, the good students and one for the bad. I was on the one for the bad, uh, going into sophomore year 
And uh, yeah, with the, you know, with the combination of, of the, the troubles and school, I, uh, I had a wake up call and that's when my dad said, listen, uh, you're, um, you're done with the school. You're done with everything. Unless you start reading the Bible with me every night. And so that's what we did. We read the Bible. I was, I always dreaded it. It was at nine 30 PM. And okay. uh, eventually, you know, uh, when you're broken enough, you, you, you lean on a higher power where, you know, when you don't have enough in you, you lean on someone greater. And so that's what, that's what happened. I found God uh, and asked for wisdom and uh, wisdom came to me and he said, listen, you're going to have to retire your parents. You know um, you're working hard right now and you're trying to get straight A's. Well, you're going to have to work like that for the rest of your life if you don't start uh, getting your act together. So now I'm working 80, 90 hours a week, just trying to beat my mom. That was the goal. My mom's an animal. So I was just trying to beat my mom in terms of uh, work hours. And I felt I was like, man, I hate this stuff. I hate school. I hate doing this internship. I hate doing all this extracurricular activity. How do I retire? Um, so really simple. I, I started Googling uh, how to retire, how to retire, how to retire on Google. And I, I came across Bigger Pockets podcasts and um, just listening to the stories, the podcast host. It was inspirational to me that a normal person with a regular W-2 job, uh, a fireman, a cop, a plumber can truly have financial freedom through real estate investing. And so I got the bug, never looked back. Um, internship after internship, I probably did 10 internships in the real estate space uh, prior to graduating, got got into uh, private equity real estate, worked for some of the most um, institutional great investors are you know, way smarter than me, but I ended up, had the opportunity to work for those guys. And about four years ago, uh, started my own shop. Outstanding. So what kind of stuff were you doing? First of all, I love that story. Obviously a lot crammed into a couple of minutes there, but um, incredible. Absolutely love it. What were you doing for that private equity shop that you were working for? Did you kind of come in as an analyst and go through the, the ranks, wear a lot of different hats? Were you focused on one thing? What did that look like? Yeah, so I was focused on the first shop I worked for. I was on the equity side um, as an acquisitions analyst, uh, underwriting self-storage, multifamily, retail, industrial, you name it. Probably the largest New Jersey developer. Um, so it was like a, getting a Harvard education over there. Uh, yeah. Ended up going over to Kane Anderson Capital. Um, I started out on the debt side, acquiring B pieces from Freddie Mac, um, mezzanine debt, preferred equity positions. and uh, as an analyst, and then work my way over to the equity side, underwriting for developments and acquisitions of senior housing, student housing, multifamily. So you saw a lot of asset classes going into that before you started with that, that PE firm. Did you have any idea how this stuff worked? I mean, you'd gotten some frame of reference from bigger pockets, or was this like all drinking from the fire hose new information for you? It was, uh, it was definitely a fire hose. Um, I was working like 90 hours a week traveling the country. Yeah. looking at different assets, interviewing property managers. Um, so it was an incredible learning curve. Uh, I was the youngest guy on the team. Everyone else that was there, whether in, in the same role that I was or my senior, all had MBAs or all 30 years old. So I was a, I was a new kid on the block, but I uh, had an opportunity to learn from some, some fantastic operators. So it was a great experience. Yeah. And you, com you compressed a lot of learning into a short period of time. They're working that much. So you would fly out to these different assets, different asset classes too, go tour them and the whole thing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was a uh, tough times. So, uh, and while doing that, I was always, uh, I made it a goal every Friday. I would go to a networking event. And then after getting home at like 
11 o'clock I'd work on my, on, on my real estate business till about like two, three o'clock in the morning back at it every day. So it was a Saturdays and Sundays were there was no, there was no rest for the wicked. You know, we, we were, uh, we were really grinding it out. Um, you know, when I, all, all the kids my age were partying and having fun, just got out of college, finally making money. I was the weird kid that was always at Starbucks getting to work. So uh, a lot of sacrifice, but it was, it was well worth it. Yeah. I mean, that's the entrepreneur story, right? It takes a lot of fuel to get the rocket into orbit. I mean, a tremendous amount of fuel. I don't think people that haven't gone through that appreciate how much energy it takes. And the idea is that once you get in orbit, you know, doesn't really take any fuel or hardly any to, to maintain at that point. Uh, but that's an incredible couple of years that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have gone through when you, so let's talk about kind of the overlap. I'm always really interested because this, this is my story too. Kind of like uh, I liken it to Shawshank Redemption where he chips his way out of prison with a little hammer, right? It takes him <laughs> 20 years, but that was kind of how I felt getting out of corporate America. Now it was only it's two and a half years. It wasn't 20 years, but a lot of work, a lot of burning the candle at both ends. Let, I, so I, I want to hear about your overlap, you know, where you're working the job, you're flying around the country, but then you, you also had this vision for your company at the same time that you were building, you know, in tandem. How, how, how did that go? Yeah, it was always a means to an end. I, I, I started off just saying, hey, I just want enough passive income to retire my parents and myself yep. as soon as possible. Um, and so at 19 years old, I was, I was going to like, at least once a month at that point in time, I was showing up to a local Rhea event, um, shaking hands, feeling like the young kid that doesn't know anything, but doing whatever it takes to add value. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once I got into corporate America, my underwriting was tight. Uh, I understood real estate holistically and, uh, you know, and, and was able to add more value. Um, but the first few years, it was about two years, um, just networking, getting ideas on how to get started. I would, I'd be up at night, you know, training a VA to, to underwrite for me and uh, for my maximum allowable offers on these properties on the MLS. And, and then I put together a team of uh, all W2 guys and girls um, put, ended up putting like six people together and everyone had an assignment, right? We all had a goal. Uh, everyone had to submit 15 contracts uh, a week. And so you know, we Everybody started getting acquisitions, everyone's work. Cause that, you know, that's where it all starts deal flow. Um, what kind of deals were these at that point? These were, these were one to four family properties. Yeah, sure. Sure. Right. Um, and so everyone would submit contracts. And then if we did get an offer accepted, we got a handful accepted. That's when I would have to run attorney review and get actively involved. But, um, I was always trying to maximize my time, right. And leveraging other people, um, uh, you know, everyone ultimately ended up falling through, including the VA, but the, the confidence in, in getting deals under contract, closing deals while working in corporate America, while working 80, 90 hours a week at Kane, it, it, it gave me enough, um, I guess, confidence to, to jump ship. Uh, funny story. I, I actually ended up meeting my ex-girlfriend at, at an airport bar <laughs> while I was at Kane. Um, and she, she actually was on the same boat. She wanted to be a real estate investor. She was traveling, doing corporate America. She was the first one to quit. Um, and so I was like, wow, this girl, she knows nothing about real estate. She and she's it. got the guts to, to go for it. And, you know, shortly after her, I, I came and joined her. And uh, 
we had a, we had a good ride, ride together. Two years, we built a business. Um, we ended up s- separating amicably. We both we're both doing very well. So um, it was a uh, it was just a combination of just just getting after it, and you know the belief comes after the work, right? So mm. yeah, that's an interesting thing um, that the confidence comes last. Yeah, you have to act, take action, be bold, execute a ton. And then the confidence comes. And I think a lot of people hesitate to move forward because they lack the confidence. Well, we all did. You got to do it. <laughs> you got to do it anyway. And the confidence comes later. And then you can springboard that into, into future ventures, which is good. But uh, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. So how long were you, you know, burning the candle at both ends, full-time job and working on your company? And what was your criteria for, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger and leave, jump out on my own and, and bet the farm on myself. So it was, I mean, I was working on the side business with no uh, results <clears throat> all throughout college, 19 to about, wow, 23 years old. So it was like a four-year journey of just getting after it on the side, getting after it on the side. I mean, it was a marathon. I was, I was doing, you know, again, it was like 80 to hundred hours every single week for four years. Yep. Um, the, the, the criteria was really just how much cash reserves do I have? I, I knew I needed to last at least nine months with marketing expenses, my living expenses, um, to just close at least one deal. That was the, that's what everyone told me. Take six to nine months for everybody to get their first deal closed. Right. So that that's, that's where I budgeted six to nine months. Um, I didn't end up closing a deal for like 10, 11 months. I, I was like at, at a breaking point, but right. um, it was, it was, it was that point and I had some deal flow. Most of it fell through, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was the cash reserves. I wanted to make sure I, I could, I could run. Yeah. So you, you got nine months of cash reserves banks, you burned through it all. Yeah. And finally, I guess, caught the bottom rung of the ladder, getting a deal done. Right. And was, was it a good deal? Was it enough to, to kind of keep, keep moving? Yeah. I think I had about 75 grand saved up, uh, got the Christmas bonus. And I said, Whew, I think I'm ready. <laughs> I'm the, got a Christmas bonus and it was like 70 at 75 grand. Um, which was a lot at the time for 23 years old. Um, sure. and <clears throat> I burned through every dollar. I had like, I think I had like less than two grand in the bank at the time. Um, and I remember just looking at my bank account and be like, holy crap, I'm so screwed. <laughs> and then lo and behold, we close the deal. We make 60 grand. Right. Wow. And so overnight, the, the, the confidence was back. Um, I had a pipeline of deals. Yep. I had a proof of concept. And so uh, that's when I reinvested all that money back in again. Right. I doubled down on my marketing. I doubled down on things that uh, I got rid of the things that didn't work, which was some of my uh, mailer pieces. And I doubled down on, on my um, cold calling and turned out to be pretty fruitful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I remember flipping some houses very early on when I just kind of had the dream, but was working. And I remember flipping a house. First one didn't do so well, but like the second or third one, you know, it made like close to what I made in a year. At, oh. at a W2 job, which was like, well, if I could put a few of those together, this would be, this would be pretty good. Obviously a very different animal being an entrepreneur and trying to build a pipeline, but it's, it's an eye opener. 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the, um, well, what was that last W two day, uh, W two job day like for you? Was it anticlimactic? Was it a big, uh, F you to everybody? F you, you're cool. <laughs> what, was it, uh, what was it like getting out of there? Look, these, the guys that I work for are all incredibly reputable. They, they're nothing but generous to me. Um, I, I actually cried. I was, I, I, I'm going to miss those guys. I miss those guys till this day. And um, so we built some strong relationships uh, over that period of time. So grateful for them. So uh, we ended on very good terms. Awesome. And once I'm big enough to, you know, to do a minimum, I think their minimum deal size, is like $30 million. So once <laughs> on the equity, on an equity clip. So there, if, if I could, uh, once I get to that point, I'm sure I'm going to be doing deals with them soon. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love it. So good. Amicable uh, exit there. And obviously that's the smart move. We're all in the long-term relationship game if we're smart about this thing. So that's, that's good. Um, what does your operation look like today? Sure. Um, we started off a little scatterbrained. Um, everyone, every entrepreneur starts out with the uh, shiny object syndrome. Yes. Um, so we started doing debt you know, brokering hard money loans and non-QM rental products. And then uh, we we started wholesaling properties. And when they didn't want to give us a, a deal that we could work or they didn't have enough distress, we would list a property. Um, and so it was like, we were trying to do, wear all these hats and build all these different businesses simultaneously. Um, and we just came to a point where me and my partner, Eric, we're like, we, if we want to blow up, we got to be laser focused. We can't, we got to be a shotgun. We can't be a shotgun. We got to be a sniper rifle. Right. Um, so we locked down on the most profitable venture, which was the fix and flipping, wholesaling, buy and hold um, investment side. So yep. we locked down on that. Um, we built up a sizable pipeline, staffed up. Um, and, you know, we, we, were, we were basically throwing these leads into the gutter. So a good friend of mine that I've been friends with since like, the seventh grade, he was a, a broker and he's just been an animal salesperson, got tons of in integrity. So we ended up partnering up with him and feeding him listings. So he went from doing $300,000 a year to doing 2 million in a very short period of time. Awesome. Um, uh, we, we had the wholesale deals and we had deals that we passed on that we wanted to flip to other investors. And so um, there was a need in the market for a solid lender. Um, to help capitalize these deals. So Eric branched off and said, Hey, Dave, you, you take, you run the investment company. I'm going to run the, um, the debt side. And he, we ended up building a, a hard money company, um, non QM bridge loans, non QM rental products. Um, and so now we have about a hundred people, um, between all three companies, uh, they're just amazing. I mean, it, it, you, you got to give all the credit to the people that deserve it. And it's, it's the people that we hired. Um, they've, they've taken massive ownership in what they're, in what they do, pride in what they do. And, um, uh, you know, we, we all believe that we're building something greater, uh, not for ourselves. And so they, they're just, they make my life easy. Yeah. Amen to that. I love it. A hundred people. That's, that's no small feat. That's fantastic. What markets are you guys doing deals in with these, with these loans? So we're lending uh, nationwide, but predominantly in the uh, Northeast. Uh, yeah. So where where we have operate operating capabilities, right? Um, I think that adds a layer of protection in the event of a default. We could 
we could take over the asset and stabilize it ourselves. Um, nice same thing. Option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt to, to buy something 65, 70 cents on the dollar, right? Um, had, to, had to jump in and rescue some deals. Thus far, we've had no defaults, um, no late payments. So we're, we're, we have pretty stringent underwriting standards when sure. it comes to who we're lending to. Um, on the investment side, apartments, residential stuff, uh, we're strictly in North Jersey. I think um, investing it requires market expertise. Yes. And so, um, so we, we've, we've honed down, we've, we've dug deep and we've been able to do like, we're, we're at like 25, 30 deals a month now. So um, the pipeline is thick. So 25, uh, 30 deals a month, is that, that's across, you know, lending and stuff you guys are operating the whole, the whole spectrum? No, no, that's just on the investment side. Um, and that's you got like, that's you guys running the operating the deal. So I would say about tw 20 of them are wholesales. Right. Um, and then the other five to 10 are, are acquisitions that we take down ourselves. Uh, we try not to buy anything smaller than five doors at this, at this point okay. in time. Yeah. Um, and so if, and then you, your model with those small multifamilies just uh, renovate and hold for some period. Yeah, exactly. We're typically buying at significant discounts to, to market value. Yeah. Um, so uh, this far there, we we've taken down the only deal. I can only think of one deal that we haven't gotten a full cash out refinance on. Uh, we're stuck with like 70 grand, but ended up tying out to 40% cash on cash. So it, it uh, beautiful. Yeah. It, tied, it, it worked out well. It worked out well. Um, I think we bought some vacation rentals just for fun. And so obviously some money's stuck in that, but they're producing 25, 30% cash on cash. Can't complain. Can't, you get a right. tax write-off and you get, you get solid cash on cash returns. You, uh, it's better than money sitting in the bank. Yeah, no doubt. So if you guys are cashing out 100% on the refinance, is there a hold period you target or it's just kind of a forever hold for you? And you've got investors in those projects or once you cash out, you're no investors. Uh, we don't, we don't, we haven't taken, I mean, we, we have taken uh, LP capital more on our short-term place um, on our long-term assets. We fully capitalize the entire, the entire deal. So we have no equity investors on our buying. Actually we're closing on one on Friday with equity investors. So, uh, but that one's a seven year hold. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about management, right? You've got a lot of different assets, smaller, um, smaller unit counts. How are you, how'd you guys tackle management and how has that evolved over time? I'm sorry. I lost you there for a second. Oh, yeah. Just that? talking about the property management, you know, you guys are holding these for multiple years. How do, how do you guys approach that? What, what have you learned along the way there? Yeah. You, uh, it's important to have reserves, right? Um, some of the, the product that we're acquiring typically in New Jersey are built in the early 1900s. Um, I mean, this was one of the first colonized States, right? So the product is a little older. Sure. So um, yeah, we're acquiring assets, some with deferred maintenance, some with a lot of deferred maintenance. Um, and we come in and we do a heavy, heavy lift up front, but you know, you, you never know what's behind those walls. It could be duct tape. Right. And so we, we do, we do, we do a lot of padding when it comes to our renovation budgets. Uh, we do, we over budget on maintenance costs. Um, I think the key is, especially in the, in the areas that we target, um, it's hard to find competent management. Yes. 
right? And, and I think that's a problem that many people face. Uh, if you're if you're at least on, if you're hundred if you're under a hundred doors, um, it's hard to get competent management. Yeah, and so we've we've had to vertically integrate. So we have uh, one partner who's what very well versed in construction and property management. We ended up staffing up. We hired three people to just handle maintenance, lease up the property management. And so it's a small team, but uh, with the team of EAs that we have, we're able to, to kind of leverage everyone's time and, and be incredibly efficient. Yeah. And you're focused pretty much in one market for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. that helps, that helps a ton to be able to do that. Um, I like it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bringing management in house is a common story among uh, us real estate operators. We, we, we yeah. Think. It's painful. And sometimes you just, you got to do it yourself, but uh, the level of control that gives you is a lot of times worth the, worth the effort. Absolutely. So we're talking, uh, David, you know, mid uh, 2022 right now, uh, the feds making an announcement this afternoon on some rate hikes, potentially things like that. We've seen uh, a couple of rate hikes. What do you guys see for the rest of 2022? What's, what's kind of your game plan for your, for your operations here for the, you know, next call it 12 months ahead. That's a great question. Um, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen, but, uh, when they, when the feds announced, uh, rate hikes, I think it was a 50 basis point increase. Mortgage rates went up 150, 200 basis points, like over overnight, right? Um, so I think those rate, the mortgage rate hikes, uh, that spread between the 50 and the 150, they they baked in future raises, and so I don't expect the same to occur um, with you know the 75 basis point rate hikes the Feds are announcing or 50. Um, I think that we we probably have. Man, I, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm underwriting to. I'm underwriting to, um, I'm doing scenario analysis between six and 7%. Sure. Right? If, it's t- if it ties out and, and the cash flows work and we, we could still get our cash outs between six and 7%, it's, it's, it still works for me. Yeah. Um, now, there is cap rate expansion. It's happening nationwide. Um, may, maybe not in some of the hot, hotter, high growth, population growth, job growth markets, but um, we're certainly seeing it here in, in Jersey. Where, where you guys are, just for reference. So it's really market specific, but let's say between for existing assets, class B, class C assets built in the 1950s to the 1980s, um, fully renovated in a decent market, is probably sitting between five to five seven five yeah um it, it's you know I, I i could tell you this much you know having my own podcast um having spoken to incredibly sophisticated investors um my general thoughts are that you know we're gonna there is there's a lot of sup, there's not enough supply right and there's a there's pent-up demand we have a housing shortage Yep. So, and the people that have been big, that have gotten rates between like, you know, sub 3% historical lows for them to move now, it, it, it would, it would cost them more to, to downsize. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so between people not wanting to sell and the, um, the asset managers and servicers that have smartened up after 08, 
not selling off assets and bundles and, and kind of being sophisticated with um, controlling the supply in the market. In fact, some of these guys are fixing and flipping their own properties at this point. So right. um, I think that we're, we're going to have limited supply one way or another. There's always going to be a housing shortage. Um, but I could tell you right now, um, my brokers and lenders that I talk to, they're, they're pretty much in crisis mode right now. Um, a lot of buyers are backing out because they just don't qualify anymore. That's right. Um, you know, apartment deals that were grand slams just a couple months ago just don't just don't tie out. So people are backing out of deals. A lot of retraining going on between the residential and the commercial space. Yep. Um, my biggest thing, my biggest concern is government overreach. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in areas that have rent control, right? New Jersey, New York, California. Uh, where you can't match inflation with rent growth, um, can't boost NOI to combat cap rate expansion, uh, you're going to have a tough time, right? But if you focus on areas where there's high growth, high population growth, uh, red state, no rent control, limited government overreach, like how did they react when the uh, COVID happened? What was their eviction moratorium? Uh, What did that look like, right? And if you could focus on assets, in, um, in those areas, particularly w- w- within the workforce housing space, BC products and tertiary markets, secondary markets, I think that uh, acquiring assets that, that remain affordable um, in high growth markets with limited rent control is going gonna, is gonna to fare well. Um, and uh, we, we shall see how the other markets play out. But uh, that's, that's, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. We're seeing that here too, with, with the pricing expectations definitely being tempered by uh, leverage and rates and things that we're seeing on the, on the lending side. Uh, so thanks for the overview. I appreciate it. Well, David, we'll wrap up here in a minute. I, I do want to, um, you, you've built so much, you've done so much, you've busted your tail, you're a young guy. What's your dream? You know, you, you want to sail off into the sunset when, you know, here in the next couple of years, do you, do you like running companies? You know, what, what do you see for a little longer term for you? <laughs> that's uh so my, my father's a missionary he's a he's he lives in kenya um yeah, full time i've been doing doing mission work okay as for as long as i remember um so i i have a heart for the needy and and my goal is ultimately to to be able to serve mm-hmm. um not that i can't serve in my current capacity because i have i have a duty to everyone who works here uh to serve them give them the opportunity to really succeed and achieve financial freedom themselves. Uh, but my goal is uh, 2031 um, is a billion in, in, in assets under management um, in terms of capital. Um, that, that, that's the number that sticks in my head. Um, equity or that's, that's an equity, equity, an equity. Yeah. And um, it's to get out at that point. Right. And, and um you know, they say, you know, what you do with little, you'll do it much. Right. And so I, I'm making a constant effort to, to give back as much as I can on my, on my personal profits, on the company profits and, uh, increase that amount year over year until I'm out of here. But, um, Love it. yeah, the succession plan is, uh, 10 years, uh, 20, I guess nine years now, 2031. And, and, um, as much as I love the game and I love the hunt, uh, I guess I'm going to have to find, I'm going to find out how to figure out how to hunt for God's kingdom. I love it. What, what a wonderful way to wrap it up. Thank you, David. I love your story. If somebody wants to connect, uh, how can they do that? And how can they find the podcast that you host? 
Sure. Um, best way to reach me is to shoot me a text message. Um, 201-973-7029. Uh, if I don't answer, it's probably because I'm in a meeting. Shoot me a text message or a voicemail. Um, the, the, the second best way to reach me is, is on my website, uh, David Choi. So it's David, C-H-O-I dot B-I-Z. Um, and that'll, that'll route you to all my social media pages, my, my podcast. And so feel free to reach out. Happy to get back in any way I can. Outstanding. We'll link to davidchoy.com and or dot biz in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can click through to the short description and click right through to David's website and connect with him there. Um, David, I enjoy this tremendously. Thank you for your time. And I wish you guys continued success. Yeah. Thank you very much, Devin. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.